Final hour of the show, Darren, Donick, and Chase here from Pete and Terry's Tavern. And it looks like we are getting a call from over on the Vanderbilt campus. We should have Coach Derek Mason here in just a moment. We've got the Predators and the Sharks tonight. Sharks at 0-3, angry, desperate, ready to go. We'll talk a little bit more about that matchup. Tough time to face a very, very tough Sharks team that has uh, not had the success early in the season they're looking for. No big changes to the Predators lineup. It looks like tonight we'll get into that a little bit later. But as we do every uh, Tuesday on the show at this time, we talk to Vanderbilt head coach Derek Mason. Coach, thanks for joining us today. Good afternoon, gentlemen, and good to be on the show. Well, Coach, I know uh, it was not what you wanted uh, on Saturday night, but uh, nothing you can do about it now, although uh, what, what you always say is you really find out how – your team's character is and how they handle stuff like this. So, so how did you try to approach it? How did the guys uh, come into work uh, as they move forward in this one? Yeah, you know, getting past this game is something that they had to do. Uh, remember, we, we, we actually had a chance to watch the, the film together, uh, you know, offense, defense, special teams, um, you know, as units. Because I think you, 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 can, you, can look, you can go into your individual position room and – and, you know, man, look at the issues and you say, okay, well, you know, man, man I just missed this. Uh, okay, man, man, it's okay. But I think when you get everybody in a room together and you start talking about the peer accountability, okay, and, and what happens and, you know, where, where, where did this start? Okay, man, man is this, is this uh, stemming from practice? Is this stemming from the idea that, you know, we're, we're not being greedy enough every day in terms of getting what we can, you know, with the opportunities and reps that we get, uh, you know, do my – do my practice habits need to change so my game habits become better? All those things are, you know, a part of what of, of what I needed to do and wanted to do on Sunday. And I think these guys took it that way. So today, uh, you know, I come out and guys, they're greedy. I mean, you know, we 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 if individuals, if the individuals can get better, the team gets better. Okay, everybody doesn't get better at the same time. So man, but you have to put the onus on guys to understand how how I mean, you have to be selfish and somewhat greedy in this in terms of seizing the opportunity and then you know man, make it happen and that's how we came into the Tuesday and that's the way we came off the field in your assessment as you analyze the film I think we all see the see the players that you have on offense and know that there's something better there so what what in your mind is missing right now offensively it's timing it's chemistry uh it, it's 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 you know awareness and 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 really just you know man guys being able to be you know synchronized in this process i mean there's no the the the, the timing right now is just off and you know when it happens it's going to explode but we need it to happen now and so i mean you're 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 sort of you know man stuck in this vacuum where you know man you got to keep tinkering because the answers aren't big Okay, like the answers are small. A couple guys doing their job, uh, you know, man, right read, guys straining to finish on a block, uh, you know, uh, a third down completion here, okay, staying cool and calm in the moment so we can just go ahead and punch it in the end zone. I mean, it's, 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 it's little, but it's big in terms of the scope. So, you know, those things are sort of being, you know, man, shined on a little bit. The lights, you know, been big and bright, and what we got to, got to do, man, is fix it. And that's what, you know, I mean, our goal is, uh, you know, Get the job done, so let's do it. You were asked about your quarterback situation. You, you had some interesting things, and I, I 100% get it because when you have a starting quarterback, you want that quarterback to play uh, and, and not worry if he makes a mistake that he could be coming out. And at the same time, you want to have competition. You have a, a, 
you have results that you've got to get from whoever is playing at, at any position. So uh, tell people what you, uh, how you're approaching it this week with Riley Neal and Deuce Wallace. Well, I'm approaching it with those guys, you know, I mean, going into practice and, and, you know, man, getting these reps and making sure, man, that these reps look the way they need to look. I mean, Riley, Riley goes out there, man, man he's going to get, you know, man, X number of reps. Deuce is going to go out there and get X number of reps. And you know what? I'm, I'm looking for all of it. I'm looking for not only, you know, man, man the footwork, the, the ability to manage it, the ability to be accurate, uh, you know, man, the, 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 the sort of charisma and passion that it takes to play the position, the authoritative, you know, man, stance that a guy has to be able to take in terms of getting his guys and holding his guys accountable. And if they can't do it in practice, they're not going to do it in games. So, man, if, 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 there's, if, if there's a shift in what that looks like, then there may be a change. But if there's no shift, then there is no change. So, man, we're going to continue to keep getting those guys better, tailoring the offense to what our best players do. Tailoring, not, not to just fit the quarterback, but tailoring the offense to fit our best players. And then, and, and then the guy who can make that come alive is the guy that's getting it done. So that's where we're going. Derek, is sometimes when, when you're looking at especially the quarterback position and you're thinking, okay, do I need to make a change? Is sometimes it just more than the individual player and it's just what you were going about saying with the offense and getting everybody on the same page of sometimes change just sparks something in a team. It's, it's almost like we're here at the, the Preds and sometimes you pull the goaltender even though it's not the goaltender's fault, but it sparks something with the rest of the team. Yes, that's exactly what you're looking for. Hey, look, I mean, I've had the opportunity. You know, I mean, some people have asked me, well, you know, I mean, Deuce has gone in late, like in the ball game. Like, well, well you know, do, do you think it's different going in late, uh, you know, as opposed to going in early? I said, yeah. I, I mean, of course it's different. But, you know, do we always get a chance to, 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 to figure out what our opportunity is? You know, when, when, when you go out there, it's do you light a spark or don't you? It's whether or not do, 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 does, does the game significantly change because of your presence under center, okay, I mean, on the field, okay, how you manage the game, the passion by which you play. I mean, I mean does it truly look different? And, and, that's, and that's what you're always trying to determine. So, like, for, for me, I mean, I don't want to go through the exercise, uh, you know, at any point in time or any position, change just to have change. Because change just to have change isn't good enough. What you need, man, is change that, 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 that pushes – you 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 over the threshold, and right now, okay, man, I need that. You know, like from the quarterback, uh, man, and that's Riley Neal. And if Deuce Wallace, you know, like provides competition to that and can take that over, well, then you know, man, I need to make a different decision. But I'm not at that point today. I know where I sit today. Coach Derek Mason of Vanderbilt here with us on Darren Donick and Chase. And, and coach, I've said this to you before, and I'll, I'll say it again. One thing I I like about you is how honest you are, and I can I can tell as you sit here talking to us. You know, there's some frustration in your voice of how things have gone, what, what are you seeing out of your team mentally that kind of shows you that they're feeling the same thing you're feeling right now? You mean, you think it's frustration. I mean, it's disappointment, okay, man, but passion, okay? So, uh, I mean, like, for me, I feel like this football team, man, is right, is right on the cusp of doing something great. But sometimes, you know, like, you got to go through the, 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 the murkiness, okay, man, of the journey, man, in order to get to the other side. So, I mean, as you look at the journey, man, I, I'm, I'm looking at this journey and I'm just telling these guys, we're, we're, we're there. You know, everything that I'm talking about is my new. Okay, man, it's small. But, 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 but if we can take care of the little things, the big things will take care of themselves. You know, little things like tackling. Tackling seems to be little, man, but it's a big thing because it's something that's plaguing us. Protection, okay, sounds little, man, but it's big in the grand scheme of timing. So, you know, in all this, Man, man, again, it, it, it's, it's about having a sense of urgency. 
Okay, man, and that's where I'm at today. I'm urgent. Okay, I'm on I'm, I'm on the radio talking to a group of men who 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 understand the game, who get the game, but understand that it can't happen a week from now. It needs to happen today. UNLV comes to town this weekend, coach, and uh, what do you, obviously a team you don't see a lot. What do you know about them? What have you learned so far? Well, I mean, spread offense, man. They got a running quarterback, man. They got a a, a throwing quarterback. You know, Tim Skipper, you know, who's their offense coordinator. Uh, you know, man, I've known for a while. You know, man, Skip is gonna, you know, man, try to make sure he puts his guys in position offensively uh, to 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 you know push the ball down the field. Man, they've got you know, man, a really good running back who I think you know man can present problems uh, like in the run game, and he's physical. He's he, he's fast on the edges, and then defensively, you know, man, they they give you a lot of different looks. They're three four, they're three three five. Uh, you know, man, they're four two five. They do a lot of different things, and 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 I think with that, you know, it's about our rules. This game is going to be more about us than it is about UNLV. You know, we, 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 can't, we can't chase what they do. We've got to fix what we do, do what we do well, and, and, and the Commodores will find its way. Coach, thank you very much for joining us, as always, and good luck Saturday against the Runner Rebels. Uh, thank you so much. Anchor down. All right. How many times does a, a football team play the, the Rebels, Rebels. <laughs> two, two weeks in a row? you got the yeah. Ole Miss Rebels and then the UNLV Runner Rebels. That's, yeah. that's got to be rare. You know, uh, I, and I, I meant what I said to him, that he is honest, and, and I can hear it. In he's honest, I mean, he's, he's passionate, but he knows it's got to be better. Yeah. He knows it's got to be better than it's been. So on the other side, let's talk about that. And Max uh, is going to join the conversation. He does the Anchor Down podcast, so he yep. really gets deep into the, into the details on what is happening out there. And I know it is coming up. I mean, I, I saw it. And, of course, they played right up against the Predators game. So I did not watch the game live. I've gone back through yep. and seen but I think the, the the question is coming up, and you know this happens on social media, the overreaction, but just how much pressure is on Derek Mason now. I, I think the fans know it's got to be way better. He knows. Everybody does. But if it doesn't get better, what happens? These, these are the things that people start, uh, start speculating on. So we'll talk about that on the other side. Remember, at 145, we're going to draw for our next pair of tickets to the Predators game tonight. And at 1.30, we will talk about the matchup, Predators and Sharks. And then we'll draw the tickets uh, in yep. the last segment of the show. So we're at Pete and Terry's Tavern, Sobro entrance between uh, 5th and 6th Avenue on DeMumbry. Just walk up, drop your name in that. You could win a pair of tickets to tonight's game. Stay tuned. We're coming back. Hey, Predator fans, don't forget Smashville Live returns tomorrow night. Hosted by Braden Gall, live from Brewhouse South. In Cool Springs. That's located at 1855 Galleria Boulevard from 7 to 8. This week's guest, Kyle Turris and Dan Hamuse. And so yeah. uh, go on out, meet those guys. First 50 people will have the opportunity to get an autograph or picture. Smashville Live is brought to you by New Amsterdam Vodka, Spring Hill Heating and Cooling, and Red Spirits and Wine. So looking forward to the show Every Wednesday this week, Predators in action tonight against the Sharks. We've got another ticket drawing coming up at 145. Uh, we call upon Max Hurst, the host of the Anchor Down podcast, specializes in Vanderbilt athletics. And, of course, uh, Max, as you know, uh, that was uh, – I, I like the words that Mitch Light used earlier. Alarmingly uncompetitive against Ole Miss, a team that you absolutely thought – you should stand and should be able to at this stage of Derek Bass's tenure, the expectation level, you have to be able to go down there and do better than that. Uh, they did not. So where do they go from here? 
Well, before that, Willie, I would like to alarm you with this great stat in answer to your question about Vandy Uh-oh. Face and the running Rebels back-to-back weeks okay. in Ole Miss and UNLV. In 2016, late October, early November, Vanderbilt faced TSU, Auburn, and Missouri in three straight games. <laughs> that okay. is three straight Tigers, which was just a momentous occasion. And they'll have two Tigers <laughs> this year, too, LSU and Missouri, but not back-to-back. I, I would say sad. over the years, your percentage chance of playing Tigers, at least back-to-back, yeah. <laughs> is, is pretty good in a given year. But the Rebels, probably not so much. Yeah, well, if, if you're Especially seeking, the running Rebels. Yeah. If you're seeking out a non-conference Tiger, then that is going to change things, too. That's going to up so, your percentage. So, Max, let's talk, you know, just first big picture, right, before we get into details as to why things are happening. What do you, what do you think is the realistic heat check right now or, or misery index? I, I know there's a lot of howling among the, the Vanderbilt fans, they were not happy at all, nor, nor should they be with that effort. And you look ahead and you're like, okay, if you can't beat Ole Miss, then where do you do the math and get to six, seven wins, which is the expectation level? Right. And I still think Vanderbilt will beat Kentucky at home. That That is, I mean, I think we said this last week, that is by far Vanderbilt's most likely SEC win, even coming into Ole Miss. I still think Vanderbilt would win that game even in their current state. But I think it's interesting because... Obviously, Mitch gets better access to the team than I do as the sideline reporter traveling with the team, truly being on the sidelines with them. But my big concern coming out of this game was the defense and the big plays because they played well, and I think it's a defense that could tackle well. If you look kind of individual by individual, they have some very good tacklers on this team. But there were some missed tackles on those big, big runs, the two runs early on in the third quarter of 75 yards or longer. Vanderbilt did not defend the zone reads well, and it cost them big time. I have thought that that has been a problem throughout the season is the tackling right. uh, on, on defense and also their inability to to cover teams that have you know a, a good passing attack, if you will. And Ole Miss is not one of those teams. And so uh, that, that, it's a big concern, I think, going yeah. forward. They should be okay this weekend, but they have got to find a way to change the narrative here. Well, it's even worse because exactly what you're saying, Ole Miss wasn't passing in this game. John Rice, Plumley, John Rice Plumley ran the ball 22 times. He threw 18 passes. I mean, th- this was a run-first game. It was a zone-read game. It was quarterback-keeper. It was involving the three running backs. And Vanderbilt just couldn't follow the ball. It was bad. I mean, we, we hear Jason Tarver's big mantra, second year as the D coordinator, the ball is everything. Well, on one of those two long runs on the Jerry and Ely run, which I believe was 78 yards. I got the notes here somewhere. Yeah, 78 yards, the touchdown at the start of the third quarter. I mean, it was his own read, and Kenny Abair was in. I mean, he blew it up. He was there at the mesh point, but he didn't follow the ball. He didn't decide between the quarterback and the running back. Ely took the ball. Abair didn't really get either of them. 78 yards later, Ole Miss is up 17-6. to six. Now, the thing that from a league perspective, if you, if you ask the guys on the SEC network, what's the deal with Vanderbilt, the first thing that they're going to say is, okay, you got Keyshawn Vaughn, yeah. you got Jarek Pinkney, you got Kalijah Lipscomb. How – do they not score a touchdown against Ole Miss? So, what, Max, what is your answer to that question? What, what's going wrong? <laughs> this should be good. <laughs> yeah, they aren't using Jared Pinkney, I guess is my answer yep. to that. He had one catch in this game. We don't, unfortunately, we don't get uh, target numbers for, for games on the road. Vanderbilt stats do include targets that we've been getting. The road teams have not been including in what we've been sent. I was not in the press box for this game. I was there as a fan, so I was uh, not keeping diligent target notes, but he, 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 <laughs> only, had one, he only had one reception. What were you doing? Couldn't have, couldn't have possibly been targeted more than four or five times. 
But, yeah, it was uh, he, he's just not involved. It's odd. And we heard from Derek Mason last week that they can't involve him because the offense isn't putting long enough drives together. Well, Cam Johnson was still targeted nine times in the Northern Illinois game when Pinckney was targeted twice. And now Cam Johnson didn't play much in this game and is now listed as, on the depth chart as the backup to C.J. Bowler in the third receiver spot. So I don't know what happened there either on a separate note. You know, it's, it's you know, you, you, as you say that, one thing that comes to mind, and a lot of people are honing in on this on the, the various, you know, the websites who cover Vanderbilt exclusively, you know, they, they went with a new offensive coordinator, and it's right. ironic because Andy Ludwig took a lot of heat last year, right? They, they weren't always – but Andy Ludwig definitely had his moments, definitely had a lot of experience. You have a new guy this year who has been on the staff, but just uh, it's a little bit like the Arthur Smith, right? you got to earn your stripes when, when, you, when you get the promotion. And so far for the Vanderbilt offense, it hasn't happened yet. So, Max, your thoughts on the new offensive coordinator? Yeah, I, I'm going to bring up another thing that Mitch Light said in the 12 o'clock hour. I think he's right to point out the muffed kickoff return by Justice Shelton Mosley, who, by the way, I think Shelton Mosley has been very, very good for Vanderbilt this year. This was a rare mistake for the grad transfer kick returner and speedy wide receiver from Harvard. But he bobbled that kickoff. Vandy starts at the 7, already down 3 nothing. That's a tough spot for the offense. And, oh, by the way, a false start before the first snap from scrimmage sends them half the distance of the goal back to the 4. So that was a tough spot for Jerry Godowski to kind of deal out of. And by the time they got the ball back again in standard field position, they were down 10 nothing. So I don't think the offensive play calling was, was a problem this game. There were some drives. Actually, the, the, the third offensive drive, or the second offensive drive, sorry, right after Vandy went down 10 nothing, they went for it on a couple of third and shorts. And they got them. And then... After going for it on third and one at their own 34, or sorry, fourth and one at their own 34, and fourth and two on their own 44, they bring the offense out after spending a timeout on fourth and 12 at the opponent's 43, and then Riley Neal punts the ball. And I don't think that's the offensive coordinator's call, obviously. That's a head coach call, especially out of a timeout. But I don't know. I think those are the drives when Vanderbilt had a chance to be competitive, and I don't think play calling was the biggest problem there. I just think some of it is... You know, I mean, listen, the offensive coordinator is going to drop the plays. He's going to call the plays. They're just not using the big three the way they need to be used. And and I don't know if that's because the quarterback just can't execute it right or if it's they don't have time on the offensive line. I mean, you have Kalijah Lipscomb and Jared Pinckney. I, I don't understand why they're not being more – they're being used more or why they're not more productive. I mean, Keyshawn Vaughn is what Keyshawn, Keyshawn Vaughn is, but – it just it, it is mind-boggling to me, and I don't know if you switch to Deuce Wallace if that really changes anything. Yeah, I, I, I think people thought going in, Ole Miss would do everything they could to make it hard for Keyshawn Vaughn to run, but that's where go, going into the season you thought, all right, if teams do that, you should have enough yep. to be able to burn, especially a team like Ole Miss that is not a vaunted, unbelievable defense. So let, that all leads us to this final point I want, I want to ask you guys. I'll give you my take on the, the hot seat level. Uh, for for Derek Mason, I think if David Williams were still alive, still the still the athletic director, we knew his mentality backwards and forwards. He was yeah. always supportive and as patient as anybody could possibly be, especially with guys that that he really believed in. Um, and so, if that were the case, that I don't think Derek Mason, even if they stumble this year and fall short of expectations, which I say 
are is now six and six. That that's yeah. that's your that's your expectation every year. If you miss it one year, that's not the end of the world, right? But this is year six. The first couple years were rebuilding, basically, even though they had come off the James Franklin years. The cupboard was bare. He's had a couple of pretty good seasons. The wins over Tennessee have been very good. Uh, this could be a step back here. I think if it were David Williams, absolutely back next year. Yep. No Hands down, no issues. You do wonder about Malcolm Turner uh, and how he sees things because it's different, especially after what happened with Bryce Drew. Uh, so that's where I sit. I still think that I, I'd be stunned if he's not back next year unless they completely get whitewashed the rest of the year, don't win a game in the SEC, then I think you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get pretty hairy for sure. But it would be a big financial commitment to do what they did with Bryce Drew and then all, on top of that go down that road with the football coach who they would owe a lot of money. Yeah, and, and You guys tell me if you agree or disagree. No, I agree with you because you know they did just buy out the basketball coach, so that's, that's on there. He got the extension. I think it all depends on how they play down the stretch because if you look at the remaining games on this schedule, I identify probably five games in which they could win. Is that fair? Four to five. UNLV this weekend is one of those. Missouri I don't see. Well, do we know if Kelly Bryant's going to play in that game or not? That's two weeks away. That's that's true. And even so, I I think Missouri is still – Pretty good team, but you're at home. I mean, yep. that, that, to me, the program should be at a level that when Missouri comes to town, you have a shot right. to win. South Carolina at South Carolina is is another one of those that okay, they're going to be they're going to win that. But let's be realistic; they're going to be a seven to ten point underdog yep. in that game for sure. At Florida, I don't give at that least. much of a chance. Kentucky is one that you could got to you got to win that game. East Tennessee State should win for sure, and then, and then at Tennessee, that that's a You've shown the ability to, to go win there. We'll see where Tennessee is. but So, Max, with the with the athletic director change, what do you think that does to the pressure on Derek Mason? I think the there are two factors at play here, and I think you're right to make a comparison to Bryce Drew. The first thing I would say is I don't think Bryce Drew gets fired if anything happens other than him going winless in conference play. So what is the football equivalent of the basketball team going 0-19 in SEC play last season? I don't know exactly what that is, but let's just say that is the point where it would have to take for Derek Mason to be fired by Malcolm Turner. If they beat Tennessee again, this is a moot point. Yeah, I, I think Mason. I think no I matter think, what else happens, if they beat Tennessee again, he's back. I think you're right, and but and also think of it this way: if they if they beat UNLV and then lose uh, all of the games up until Kentucky comes to town. And they rally and beat Kentucky, East Tennessee State, and Tennessee. That gives them five yeah. wins. Yeah. And so they fall short, but they would end on the three-game winning streak having won a couple of quote-unquote rivalry games. Yep. And so I, I think he's 100% back. But it would still be very disappointing to end up five and seven, especially. I, I think if that happens, as Darren put it yesterday, it's a yeah, but. That's what it yeah. becomes. It goes, you're back. But you have to do this to be back the following year. Yeah. The the okay. other factor in play here, I guess this is twofold, but it's two things that, in my mind, work together really well. Malcolm Turner, pretty much immediately after coming on board this spring, late winter, February, March, 
voiced a massive vote of confidence in Derek Mason. And the other big thing that Malcolm Turner has said that relates to football is that football is going to be a big, big part of the master facilities plan that they are working on drafting right now. And presumably, they will begin on by the end of this academic year, I would think. So I think, if at all possible, Malcolm Turner would like to give Derek Mason a chance to coach the Vanderbilt football team with at least part of the master facilities plan in place. I also like the fact that traditionally Vanderbilt does not have a quick trigger. That's what was so shocking about the Bryce Drew uh, change uh, when when it happened. So you do wonder what Malcolm Turner's attitude is going to be going forward, but I do think I like the fact that at Vanderbilt they are more patient than, than some places. So with I, that- I, I will say this, though, Willie, as we wrap this up, that I understand that Malcolm Turner gave his vote of confidence to Derek Mason. What else? Is, I mean, he kind of had to because he had just signed a contract extension and he's coming in. Right. You know, I, I'm not trying to create a football versus basketball type thing here, but there is a big difference. I mean, there's, there's a, you know, I, I think he was able to – to convince the boosters and, and the administration that, okay, a change was needed at basketball coach, but it's going to be a different conversation with the football coach and the fact that the outgoing athletic director just gave him a contract extension. And do not overlook, it seems like you could take this for granted, but I think people like Derek Mason. Yeah. I think he's, a, he's a classy guy. He's I like an enthusiastic guy. I think the players enjoy playing for him, and I think that will mean something. Sure. It, 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 even if they fall short. Of their goals for this year. But we'll see. you, you got to play the game. It starts with UNLV on Saturday in a must-win game. When we come back, we'll turn our attention back to the hockey game tonight. We'll, we'll tell you what happened at the morning skate. We'll break down the matchup with the San Jose Sharks coming to town. Stay tuned. This is 102.5 The Game. You know, right now I like where our club is and what the, our threat is as, as we come at different teams because I would have to think, you know, with San Jose tonight is that they have to make a decision of how they want to play against us more in terms of who they want to match up. Uh, not that we don't have to think about that, but I'm actually feeling that we have an advantage of not being as concerned with the matchup as maybe San Jose has to uh, be with us. So we'll have to see how that plays out. That was General Manager David Poyle earlier today at Pete and Terry's Tavern at the Sobro entrance of Bridgestone Arena. Predators and the San Jose Sharks tonight. And Chase, building on the point that David Poyle said, I I watched the Predators from day one, right? So I watched five to seven years. Really, the first five years were like this, where they had to be perfect. They were never going to come in and say, okay, you guys come try to stop us. Right. right? Barry Trotz was, and he was very, very good at it, basically saying, okay, I'm not the better team here, but I'm going to have a very scrappy lineup. We are going to have a defense-first mentality. We're going to be the counterpuncher. We'll find a way to scratch and claw for goals. We're going to have good goaltending. But it was up to them to match up. So Barry Trotz was the master at mixing and matching and finding ways to make it tough on more talented teams. A few years after that, there was a brief window uh, when they had Paul Correa and and Peter Forsberg briefly, Steve Sullivan, Jason Arnott, J.P. Dumont, where they got to a point where it was the shoe was on the other foot, and I was like, whoo, isn't it nice to be able to show up and have the other team have to come in and say, okay, how do we stop Nashville? Uh, they've, they've had that from time to time over the last few years, but this might be really, the on paper anyway, and it's bore out the, the first two games anyway, 
that kind of thing. And that's what David Poyle was talking about. Yep. It's up to the other team to say, how do we? How are we going to stop Johansson's line and Duchesne's line? And then, okay, by the way, here comes Kyle Turris rolling out there. He's pretty good. You know, yeah. and he's got a couple of guys with him that can hurt us here. What do we do about that? Well, and that's the that's where David Poyle has been trying to get this team. You know, to they've been trying to get to that point over the last few years. And as I said to him earlier, you know, now he for years he coveted a number one center. Now he has two of them, and he's able to Peter Laviolette is able to put together those two forward lines that. It's one, one A, one B. There isn't really a first line, second line, third line, fourth line anymore. It's all about situations, and that's the kind of game that they're trying to play. So, they're in a position that, you know, we've seen flashes of, but now, you know, top to bottom, this lineup. I mean, it's talented. Even that what's considered to be, I guess, the fourth line with the Nick Benino line. I mean, they can produce. I mean, we oh, saw yeah. Austin Watson the other day, you know, scored a goal and they on have his a, back. And they have more of a specific job. And yep. I think uh, we talked to Adam Vingert about this. He had the breakdown of ice time and also uh, a very important part of the game that, you know, if you're just there to enjoy the game and you're not really paying that much attention, you may not notice this as much. But uh, the more astute fans have started to pick up on this over the years, I know I have, is where, where you're deploying some of these lines. Whether you're first line, third line, fourth line, whatever, yeah. there are specific roles that each line has. And Nick Bonino's line with Colton Sissons and Austin Watson, they're going to go out there in front of Pecorine, right? They're going to be in the defensive zone starting most of the time. That makes it harder to score, right? Yep. But they are, they are more defensive-minded, and that is their, their, their first purpose. And so that, that dictates the ice time you get sometimes, and that get, dictates the situations you're put in. And so, on paper, if that line is even, if they keep the other team's top scorers from scoring or if they give up one and get one, you like the idea that the other three lines will be plus somewhere. Yeah. You know, and games always get, you know, the special teams play a part. All of these things that, that go on in a game can change that general philosophy. But in general, that's the role of that line. So they, they are more or less a checking line. I don't know if I would call them a fourth line traditionally but it's no. also hard to call kyle turris's line a fourth line right, right? And, and it's it's hard to call the duchene line the second line it's hard to right. call the johansson line the second line i mean it, <laughs> right. it just the, the traditional way of, and of I talking think about laviolette's had some fun with that right He's he has chuckling he, at that because that's it's a good position to be he, in. he said to uh, in fact he said to joe rexroad the other day that um you know that joe rexroad was asking him about the duchene line because because Peter Laviolette goes, which one's the second line? He goes, the right. Duchesne line. He goes, they're going to be pissed off if you keep calling them the second <laughs> right. line. So, and it, that's the whole point. That's where they tried to get to of having multiple top lines and being able to get that you know secondary scoring and tertiary scoring, as David Boyle brought yeah. up today. So, and, and I think they're they're at that point now where they have the talent in which they can, you know, they haven't mixed and matched too much yet, but they can. You know, and eventually they're going to get to that point where, okay, teams are going to start to figure out the you know some of these lines and how they're currently constructed. Or you know, Kyle Turris the other night, we saw him play a really solid hockey game. He didn't score, but he had some chances and he was right there in front of the net. As he continues to, you know, find his confidence and develop his game even more, it's going to give you yet another piece that you can use on some of these forward lines as you want to mix and match. So. I really like the games that I'm seeing out of, and I know it's only two games in, but I even go back to the preseason and training camp. I like what I'm seeing from Kyle Terrace. I like what I'm seeing from Nick Benino. 
I think that they have some depth that, that is really being shown right now. They've invested heavily. If you look at what they're paying their four centers, it's yeah. a lot of money. They should yeah. be getting – but they're getting good play. The key will be to balance, right, offensive push. Offensively, it's been there. But the defensive balance was lacking in the last game. They got counterattacked. But they're also playing a much different team tonight, a more talented team, even though it's been a little bit banged up. Evander Kane comes back tonight for the Sharks. They're 0-3. They're going to be desperate. They are going to have a lot of edge to their game tonight. They're not happy with how things have gone. This is going to be a great test. Yeah. It's the best team the Predators have played so far, including the training camp. But I think they need that. They need yeah. they need a big test like that. And, you know, you brought something up, too, of, of they're paying a lot of money down the middle for center. The thing that I do like that this organization is doing right now, and it starts with David Poyle that they're looking at, yeah, they've signed some guys to some big contracts. They've, you know, dished out a lot of money. But they're putting the players in the best possible position to help them win. They're not thinking – well, you know, just because we're paying Kyle Terra $6 million, I mean, he needs to be on the second line or whatever you want to call it. No, they're putting Kyle Turris in his natural position of center with two guys that are going to work together as a cohesive unit and be a, a, a pretty good second line, third line, whatever you want to call it. I mean, that that's what they're doing, and that's what I like seeing. So tonight at 7 o'clock will be the face-off. It's on NBC Sports tonight. You can hear our radio coverage, as always, 6 o'clock start. Uh, for our pregame show, and Hal and Pete have the call starting at 7 o'clock, Predators and Sharks. Stay tuned. Our final segment, which it will include a drawing for tickets oh, to yes. tonight's game from here at Pete and Terry's Tavern. We have some late entries, which is good. Anybody else want to get a late entry in there, do it right now because we're going to draw our next pair here in just a moment. We'll also hit uh, on some news and notes for the day, yep. maybe a final uh, Titans thought or two as well in our final segment. That's coming up just around the corner here on 1025 The Game. And welcome back to the final segment of today's show, Darren, Donick, and Chase. And once again, the Darren update, out of surgery, out of the hospital. He's home. Back home, recovering from the scope or the, the meniscus repair. Yeah, the repair. So a thumbs up from his wife, Lauren. So Will he have the Willis Reed moment? You'll have to wait and see. He gets You'll rolled in at 559. We know this. We have just drawn for our second of four pairs of tickets tonight from Pete and Terry's Tavern. If you did not if you did not get your name in, you can still do that. The last giveaway will be at 445. There will be drawings at 345 and 445 during Jared and the GM. You have to come down to Pete and Terry's Tavern, which is outside the Sobro entrance at Bridgestone Arena. Put your name in the hat. You do not have to be present to win, but you do have to come and sign up, and then we will draw and leave your your tickets at will call. You'll be contacted by our uh, awesome promotions department, and they will let you know that you won. But with that said, Willie, we have drawn a name, and it is follow is follows as follows. Yes, if I could speak. Winner number two, Jose Alea from here in Nashville. Congratulations to Jose. There you go. Is he here? No. Oh, we don't know. No, <laughs> I thought you. I thought you were making eye contact with Jose out on the on the patio here, but no, no I guess he's not. But his no, name will hey, be a will call. Jose, it? if you're listening, we will get in touch with you. And if you did not win, no fear. It's okay. you still got, got a shot. Two more chances. you got two more shots to, to come to the game tonight. And we're going to be doing this from time to time uh, with our know. shows on game day. So if you didn't get down today, keep this in mind hey, for future game days. As Eddie Money said, we got two tickets to paradise. Two tickets to paradise. No question. So, Chase, uh, 
there was a fan that came by and dropped his name in the hat who is here for a conference, and he uh-huh. happens to be a Buffalo Bills fan. Oh. And he was like, what about the fans from the Bills? <laughs> and that is one thing. I know you guys hit on it a little bit yesterday. We didn't talk about it today much, but I was not at the game. But yeah. for, in talking to some people that were, there's no question that it had to be disappointing for you know Mike Vrabel and the Titans players to have – it was an influence. The, I, don't yeah. know how, I don't know what the number was or percentage or anything like that, but the Bills fans influenced what was going on in the field. Well, Fair to say? Uh, yeah. As I much think... as you can. Like in this day and age, we know sure. in the NFL – the road team is winning a lot, right? It's not like uh, there's this huge home field advantage in the NFL. Even if even at a place like Lambeau Field where you don't have a lot of fans from the other team in there, the road teams can win. But as far as the atmosphere, just from a, from a front office, from a morale standpoint, the Titans still have not made much progress in creating a good home field atmosphere. And we've been saying for a long time, when ticket brokers own a lot of the tickets – they end up in the other team's hands more often than not because the other team's fans, they're coming in for the weekend. They'll pay what they need to pay. They, they've made the – as soon as the schedule comes out, they're making the plans. We're going to Nashville on this weekend when my team is there. You have a rabid fan base that is hungry, like the Bills. Right. And uh, they also, fair to say, they, drank a lot of beer they do. while they were here. They've been known to do that. You know what else I saw? that I, I saw it on Twitter. that I, For the life of me, I cannot figure this out. Why – Nissan Stadium and the Titans can't figure this out. People in line, they're, they're going to miss <laughs> kickoff because they can't get in the stadium. Uh, yep. And I understand, okay, you got bag check and it, we got safety Did standards. Did you say bag check? Bag check, not oh, chuck. Bag check. Not okay, chuck. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I mean, hey, they might move faster if they let them chuck some bags. But, <laughs> bag you know, chucker I, I just, is all about speed, the opposite of what we're doing It's all here. about efficiency and speed. I just don't under, You know, they have new security measures here at Bridgestone Arena. I look at, I'm looking at the Sobro entrance right now. They have express lane, express lane, express lane, x-ray lane. If you have a bag, you have to go through the x-ray lane, which I do every time I come in because I'm median, I bring my backpack. Right, right. You know how long it takes? I'm through that line probably in less than a minute. Because you're not everybody is funneled through that line. No, right, right it's, exactly. It's systematic. Exactly. Right? It's, it's or you a have the express lane where, where it's organized and they, they think ahead of, okay, what – how do we get people through yeah. efficiently? What is so damn hard about that? Well, why? But why are we still? We, we've been talking about this for five years. I, that's my point. Why are we still so, talking well, about that, this? That is what I keep coming back to. Is I always ask the question every summer: What's yeah. going to be different this year? And I know that they have made some efforts in some areas, but it's still way behind where I think it can be. Yep. And what the team deserves, what the players deserve when they, when they go out there. There's a lot. To go there now, I, I know Chris has been waiting patiently on the line with us. He wants to talk about another thing that we have not covered today that I'm sure you guys went through a lot uh, yesterday. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey guys, how's it going? Fine, Doing thanks. Well. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to call and talk to you guys about uh, about. Well, honestly, there's a plethora of things I could call and complain about this Titans team, but the one thing that's sticking out to me is 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 Brable, and, and it really it really hit home uh, last Sunday with his fourth down call. Um, since, since his first year, he, he's, he's almost made it a point to show everybody that, that he's going to be the guy that's not afraid to go for it on fourth down or to go for the two-point two conversion. And he had the situation in Atlanta where you can kick a field goal to go up by three scores, but he decides to go for it. Um, and it blows my mind that this past Sunday you have a kicker who's 0 for 3 on field goals that wasn't even close on two of them, and he decides to throw him out there for a 53-yarder 
when even if you make it, you're in the same position that you would be if you missed it. You have to score a touchdown to give you a chance to win the game. Right. Uh, do, do we need to hire somebody to come in and, and <laughs> that variable can, can defer to on fourth down well, decisions? I mean, this is Okay, Chris, because we're running, we're running short on time, I want to answer your question. It's a, it's a good question. So we're going to let you go on that. Thanks for calling. It's a, it was an odd reversal of, uh, you know, having a little more faith in kicking. But it comes down to me, Chase, once again, for not having the ability. Some coaches, I think, are better than others. But if you're not this way, then how do you balance that? Maybe have somebody in the press box that is really focusing on situations like this where a coach can say, what do you think? Yeah. Because I think it was it was pretty – I don't know if it was unanimous, but it was a – if you were to vote, like, you know, what do you think the Titans should do here? Go for it or kick the field goal? I think you would have had – at least 80 to 85% of the people would say, got to go for it here. Yeah. Right? I know I was. Yeah. And I was certainly not alone. That question was one of the first questions. When, Santos, when Santos walked out there for the 53-yarder, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, wh- why? Well, you just didn't have a good feeling yeah. that he was going to make the field goal. But, it, but it, even in that point of the game, though, you have to think, okay, I, I need point. I, I mean, right. I need a touchdown, so right, let's right. go well, for okay, it. Okay, so we've established that most yeah. people are going to say, so what is keeping – where was that person on the Titans to say, Mike? He doesn't have one. Because this, he, is, he has made, I think, the consensus opposite choice for a number of different times yeah. since he's been the coach. And I think it comes down to emotion versus what are your percentages? He what have what is the rational percentages? So I, I think that's a, that's a point of self-evaluation for him, and it's no different this week than it was last week. We were talking about it last week when they went forward on fourth and one. we got to go, but uh, he, he, did, he was asked yesterday by Teron Davenport, does he have an analytics person yeah. that, that's a, that that's is a telling that stuff? And he basically was like, well, we have scouts and we have assistants. He basically he doesn't. He doesn't have an analytics hmm. person. And so I, he needs an advisor of some sort. You need the equivalent of the two-point chart. Yep. Right? You need to when to go for it, when to not go for it. There's got to be some further discussion there. So they'll have a different kicker kicking the next time they make that. I have a feeling we get that official news maybe later today. Yep. All right. We're done. Jared and the GM coming up next from here on the Sobro side. Bridgestone Arena, Predators and Sharks later on tonight. We'll see you there. Join us tomorrow for Darren Donick and Chase.